Happy Sunday, friends. My name is Ambassador Monday Ugojo Ogwen. This is Otakada Cyber Church Ministries, where we are seeding the nations and God is transforming lives uh, through the timeless truth in His world. Our goal is to connect, engage, and convert 100 million souls on or before the year 2024. Uh, 20, uh, and uh, we have covered your prayers and uh, outreach over cyberspace and all other platforms that the Lord uh, makes available to us. So stay with us and uh, deal with us. Today is Sunday, the 4th of June, 2021, and the content count is 2,220,334. And uh, this is part 34 of uh, Enough is Enough to Captivity of Satan. And welcome to Freedom in Christ Jesus. Can spirit-filled Christians be under the influence of demonic evil entities? And this is part D of that. Plus, uh, don't condemn and judge what you do not understand through the walking of the Holy Spirit. So you can you don't get condemned and judged by Him. And number three, uh, plus three strong reasons why you must be careful before you judge and condemn a prophet or a prophetic ministration. And then plus seven steps on how to keep your deliverance plus 10 reasons why some are not delivered friends i uh, welcome you to this new month of perfection the lord has perfected all that concerns you and all yours this month of perfection in jesus name amen again this is part 34 of enough uh, is enough to captivity of satan and welcome to freedom in christ jesus now we bring you exciting news testimony of Great of great deliverance for Myrna, Joy, and others over a telephone conference and thoughts of the 1st of July 2021. I bring you great, great tidings of a mighty deliverance the Lord wrought over the telephone with seven participants of three groups in Chicago, New York, New York, and Joss at the same time, Joss Plateau. We give God a high praise and worship as testimonies are still coming in. The deliverance is still ongoing for his glory. The family will share their testimony at the proper time. God is not mysterious. If we follow his simple childlike formula and standard, we get his mighty results. See or listen to the two hours, 53 minutes process that led to the deliverance from Mona, who was tormented by the evil one with visible manifestation and ability to function. The parents and relatives were involved and God touched them also. If you have similar issues, follow the process. Comfort and I had to profile Mona over multiple hours of calls to fit into the nine-step process that brought about the desired result. If you want to be an instrument God can use for others who are under the oppression of the evil one, study the process and apply. The next day, Mona went back to, to work. Her virtue that was hijacked was returned instantaneously, and she's now having upper hand in confronting, confronting the evil one after we have dealt with the root cause. She's a born again child of God from a Christian home. Satan does not respect your Christianity or your donation in God's service. With your permission, I share the two hour 53 minutes encounter for your learning and application. If you have a question, Mona is available to talk to you. She now has the blueprint to deploy at her choosing because the same Holy Spirit in us is in her for greater exploit in Christ. We are also available to help you. In the realm of the Spirit, distance, time, and space have no relevance and non-existent. God fills the whole earth. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is available to heal, deliver, and restore. Our goal is not to be a central place where everyone can run to, but that in their own context, they can apply and be a help to others. And the chain of discipleship continues unhindered in Jesus' name. Amen. God did not keep us here to read and memorize Bible. He kept us here to deliver men, women, boys, and girls from captivity of Satan into freedom in Christ Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 17 to 19, Mark chapter 16, verse 14 to 19. Here are the links. Uh, for um, you would find the links of part 34b practical demonstration of deliverance of a girl from demons which is walloped by the Otakada Otowaji team over a conference call Chicago, New York and Joss Plateau and the links are there 
you could uh, download Anchor app. If you're using a mobile phone, you can download Apple, Apple app, Anchor app from Google Play and use that app to open the podcast link or you can search the above title on any of the pod- podcast app. YouTube link is also there uh, if you prefer the visual uh, aspect. Now, if you missed last part of the series title, Part 33, Can Spirit-Filled Christians Be Under the Influence of Demonic Evil Entities? C, plus uh, how people, including Christians, get exposed to the dark realm and need of Holy Spirit baptism, plus get the nine-step process script to total self-deliverance, plus one testimony of deliverance from exposure to rock music for application. The link is right there on otakada.org. Now to our title today. Can spirit-filled Christians be under the influence of demonic evil entities? D. Plus, don't condemn and judge what you do not understand through the working of the Holy Spirit, so you don't get condemned and judged by Him. Plus, three strong reasons why you must be careful before you judge and condemn a prophet or a prophetic ministration. Plus, seven steps on how to keep your deliverance. Plus, ten reasons why some are not delivered. Let's start with this. Don't condemn or judge what you do not understand through the walking of the Holy Spirit so you don't get condemned and judged by Him. God does not change, but the ways and means and processes He manifests Himself by power and inner working of the Holy Spirit vary from person to person, especially in the office of the prophet or the prophetic ministry. Read this. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. In God's changing methods of communication, His changing ways, He promised in Isaiah 43, 19, verse 8. I repeat that. In God's changing methods of communicating His changing ways, Is changing ways. He promised in Isaiah 43, 13, See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is always doing new things through his servants. New things will continue to happen to usher in the prophetic purpose and counsel of God. We must be ready to adapt to change. Some of these changes you will never see precedence in scripture. Listen and listen good. God can tell a prophet, an evangelist, or any other ministry for that matter, including some or all of the fivefold ministry that have no scriptural precedence. And so those who are in prophetic ministry are always under serious controversy and attacks both were verbal and spiritual attack by the modern-day Pharisees and Sadducees because prophetic action cannot be explained by scripture or by doctrines orchestrated by human tradition. Jesus, in confronting religious leaders of his day, said this concerning the prophets, uh, Luke chapter 11, 45 to 51. One of the experts in the Mosaic law answered him, Teacher, in saying this, you reproached and outraged and affront even us. But he said, Woe to you, the lawyers, also for you load men with oppressive burdens hard to bear, and you do not personally, even gently, touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you rebuilding and repairing the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed or destroyed. So you bear witness and give your full approval and consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they actually killed them. And you rebuild and repair monuments to them. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will put to death and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against and required of this age and generation. For the blood of Abel, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was slain between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, he shall be charged against and required of this age and generation. Prophet revealed the mind of God, truths from God, messages from God that expose wickedness in the lives of the people. People kill when what they do is brought to light. Hence the enormous danger prophets are exposed to in carrying out the ministry of God's mouthpiece. A prophetic, a prophetic through whom God is using, or a prophet 
through whom God is using mightily, both at home and abroad, and amongst governments, said he had had 20 assassination attempts that failed woefully. Of these 20 attempts, 19 were from Christians, not just lay Christians, but by pastors of other Christian organizations. Why? They are threatened of their influence amongst their followers. They are threatened because they can't even do 1% of what God uses a genuine prophet to do. Pastor Enoch Adeboe was almost poisoned by cronies around him before God told him, if you eat that food, you are a dead man. I was told in a redeem, uh, that in a redeemed ministries, uh, ministers, uh, ministries, ministers conference, that he called out those who were witches amongst them to come forward and ministers of the gospel started coming out. Representatives of the realm of darkness pastoring the flocks of Jesus Christ. God have mercy on us all and bring to light the woes and ships clothing amongst us in Jesus' name. Amen. What of that proof do you need that the demonic have infiltrated the church, turning us against ourselves, attributing to Satan the work of the Holy Spirit? It is a big danger to sin against the Holy Spirit because those sins will not be forgiven. God forbid. May that never be your portion in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen to Jesus' warning to the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 32. Consequences of attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to demon powers. Then a blind and dumb man under the power of a demon was brought to Jesus, and he cured him, so that the blind and the dumb non man, uh, blind, blind and the dumb man both spoke and saw. And all the crowds of people were stunned with stunned with bewildered wonder and said, This cannot be the son of David, can it? But the Pharisees hearing it said, This man drives out demon only by and with the help of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Any kingdom that is divided against itself is being brought to dissolution and laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will lost or continue to stand. And if Satan drives out Satan, he has become divided against himself and disunited. How then will his kingdom last or continue to stand? And if I drive out the demons by help of Beelzebub, by whose help did your sons drive them out? For this reason, they should be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out the demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you before you expected it. Or how can a person go into a strong man's house and carry off his goods, the entire equipment of his house, without first binding the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. He who is not with me definitely on my side is against me, and he who does not indefinitely gather with me and for my side scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy, every evil, abusive, injurious speaking or uh, indignity against sacred things can be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not and cannot be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Spirit, the Holy One, will not be forgiven either in this world and age or in the world and age to come. I end this section with final word from Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 5. Judge not, Jesus says, or you get judged. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and, and, and criticized and condemned yourselves. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned. In accordance with the measure you use to deal out to others, it will be dealt out against you, to you. Why do you stir from without at the very small particle that is in your brother's eye? Or do not become aware of and consider the beam of timber that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the tiny particle out of your eye, when there is the beam of timber in your own eye? You hypocrites, first get the beam of timber out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the tiny particle out of your brother's eye. Salah. Now let's look at uh, three strong reasons why you must be careful before you judge and condemn a prophet or a prophetic ministry. 
I, Ambassador Mandi Oogwe, am an ambassador of unity in the body of Christ. And to help us work together, I will give three reasons why we must not be quick to judge or condemn a, a prophet and so sinning against the Holy Spirit. Number one, what they do usually might not be seen in scripture before them or after them because they are they operate by what they hear or the instruction they receive. Some scriptures to buttress this truth are as follows. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26, Prophet Jesus spit on a blind eye and it opened. And he came to Bethsaida. And people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he caught the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him, do you possibly see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his, in his eyes again, and the man looked intently, that is, fixed his eyes on definite objects, and he was restored and saw everything distinctly, even what was at the distance. And he sent him away to his house, telling him, Do not even enter the village for, or tell anyone there. In John chapter 9, verse 5 to 7, Jesus using clay with saliva on the blind eye. As long as I am in the world, I am the world's light. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay mud with his saliva, and he spread it as ointment on the man's eyes. And he said to him, Go and wash in pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back saying, Number two, how why you should not criticize prophet or the prophetic ministration god's method or deliverances are not fixed method as it manifests through the prophet and others let's read second king chapter 6 verse 1 to 7 prophet elijah's instruction that made the metallic axe head float on water using a stick the sons of prophets said to elijah look now the place where we live before you is too small for us let us go to the jordan and each man get there a house beam and let us make us a place there where we may dwell and he answered go one said be, be blessed be blessed be pleased to go with your servant he, an he answered i will go so he went with them and when they came to the jordan they cut down trees but as one was felling his beam the axe head fell into the water and he cried alas my master for it was borrowed the man of god said where did it fall when shown the place, Elisha cut off a stick and threw it in there, and the iron floated. He said, pick it up, and he put out his hand and took it. Number three, the ways prophets communicate and manifest their mantle from God can be mind-boggling. Read Second uh, Kings 13, 14, 21. Prophet Elisha's instruction to strike the arrow to send a message. His dead body raised another dead body. Now, Elisha previously had become ill of the illness of which he died. And Jehoash, king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, O my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen of it. And Elisha said to him, Take bow and arrows. And he took bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it, and Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window to the east, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory, victory over Syria, for you shall smite the Syrians in Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike on the ground, and he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had destroyed it. But now you shall strike Syria down only three times. Elisha died and they buried him. Bands of the Moabites invaded the land in the spring of the next year. As a man was being buried on an open bier, such as a band was seen coming. And the man was cast into Elisha's grief. And when the man, being led down, touched the bones of Elijah, he revived and stood on his feet. Another example is Ezekiel chapter 4. Lying down on one side, 390 days without getting up, and another 40 days to signify and send a message to the children of Israel. I read now. And you, son of man, take a 
uh, take a tile and lay it before uh, you and make upon it a drawing of a city, even uh, uh, Jerusalem, and put sage, sage works against it, build a sage wall against it, and cast up a mound against it, mound against it, set camps also against it, and set uh, battering rams against it, and round about. Moreover, take a plate of iron and place it for an iron wall between you and the city, and set your face toward it, and it shall be besieged. And you, and you shall press the siege against it. This is a sign to the house of Israel. Then bound as you are, lie upon your left and north side to bear symbolically the iniquity of the house of the ten tribes of Israel upon that side. According to the number of these that you shall lie upon it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I have said upon you the years of their iniquity, according to the number of the days, 390 days, representing 390 years. So you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when you have filled, uh, fulfilled the days for Israel, lie again, but on your right and south side. And you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have appointed you one day for each year. Therefore you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, and your arm shall be uncovered, ready for battle. And you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will lay bands upon you, and you shall not turn yourself from one side to another till you have ended the days of your siege. Hmm. Also take wheat, barley, beans, uh, lentils, millet, and spelt, and put them into one vessel, and make bread of them. According to the number of the days that you shall lie upon your side, three hundred and ninety days you shall eat of it. And the food you eat shall be by weight, twenty shekels, or a full half pound a day, to be eaten at a fixed time each day. You shall drink water by a measure also about one quart or the sixth of part of a hen. You shall drink at a fixed time each day. And you shall eat your food as barley cakes, and you shall bake it with human dungs as fuel in the sight of the people. And the Lord said, Even thus shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the nations to whom I will drive them. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself from my youth up even till now. Have I not eaten of that which dies of itself or is torn in pieces? Neither did there ever come abominable flesh into my mouth. Then he said to me, Behold, I will let you use cow's dung instead of human dung, and you shall prepare your food with it. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break the staff of the bread by which life is supported in Jerusalem, and they shall eat bread rationed by weight and with fearlessness, and they shall drink water rationed by measure and with dismay, silent species, speechless grief caused by the impending starvation. In order that they may lack bread and water and look at one another in dismay and waste away in their punishment for their iniquity. Let's read Isaiah chapter 20, another account from another prophet, from very strange instructions from the Lord God. Isaiah chapter 20 verse 2 to 4. Prophet Isaiah going without clothes for three years to send a message to the children, people of Israel. At that time, that's Isaiah 20, 22-4. And at that time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, son of Amos, saying, Go loose the sackcloth from off your loins, and take your shoes off your feet. And he had done so, walking around stripped to his lane cloth and barefoot. And the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked comparatively naked and barefoot for three years, as a sign and a forewarning concerning Egypt and concerning Cush, that's Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and Ethiopian exiles, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Now we read, uh, and some of you might say, okay, that's Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament as a way that prophets usually will communicate uh, the messages they receive from God. That's Acts chapter 21, verse 8 to 12. New Testament prophet Agapus getting hold of Paul's belt to send a message about pending danger. On the morrow, we left there and, and came to Caesarea, and we went into the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven first deacons, and stayed with him. And he had four maiden daughters who had the gift of prophecy. 
While we were remaining there for some time, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to see us, he took Paul's belt, and with it bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, The Jews of Jerusalem shall bind like this the man who owns his belt, and they shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles, the heathen. When we heard this, both we and the residents of that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now let's begin seven steps on how to keep your deliverance. Now, after receiving deliverance, continue to thank God. Even if you were you were not sure yet of all that has happened, you can express your faith by thanking him. This is the first step to help you keep your deliverance. You can be sure, however, that Satan will not give up on you. He will do everything in his power to reassert his control over you. You must be prepared for his counterattack. I have referred several times to the warning of Jesus that a demon that has gone out of a man will seek to return. You must make completely sure, therefore, that Jesus is dwelling in you and that he is absolute Lord of your life. We have seen that human personalities like his city and that demonic invasion can have the effect of breaking down the walls inside us that should protect us. Once our enemy has been driven out, we must begin immediately to rebuild our protective walls. Here are the basic principles to help you rebuild. Uh, there are number one, live by God's word. Number two, put on the garment of praise. Number three, come under discipline. Number four, cultivate right fellowship. Number five, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number six, make sure you have passed through the water of baptism. Number seven, put on the whole armor of God. So let's take number one, live by God's word. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, Jesus said that mankind shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word live is all-inclusive, covering everything we think, say, or do. All must proceed from the same source, the word of God. We must give it unchallenged preeminence in every area of our lives. Many other influences will compete for control over us, our own feelings, the opinions of others, accepted traditions, the culture that surrounds us. But God guarantees us victory in every area and specifically victory over the devil only insofar as our lives are directed and controlled by his word. Take to heart the directions the Lord gave to Joshua as he was about to enter the promised land. And this is Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, not memorize, meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. These directions may be summed up in three phrases. Think the word, speak the word of God, act the word of God. Then God guarantees you success. Now number two. Put on the garment of praise. In Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3, God offers us the garment of praise in place of the spirit of heaviness. Depression was lifted from someone when it was identified as the spirit of heaviness because of praise. There is a need to cultivate a lifestyle in which praise would cover you as completely as the clothes you wear. A short story from a deliverance minister's uh, experience. This is my husband, she said. He just out of prison and needs to be delivered from a demon. At that time, I had no experience in ministering deliverance to others and no idea how to do it. So I simply invited him to join our prayer meeting. Some of our members were offering loud, uninhibited praise to the Lord. After a while, the man settled up to me and said, There's too much noise. I'm going. It's the devil that doesn't like the noise, I replied, because we are praising Jesus. You've got two options. If you go now, the demon will go with you. If you stay, it will go without you. I'll stay, he mumbled. A little later, he approached me again and said, It's just gone. I felt it leave my throat. My throat. You, you, having received deliverance, are also just out of prison. Enjoy your liberty. Do as the word of God says. Put on the garment of praise. When you are praising the Lord, you trouble the devil more than he can trouble you. Engage your heart. Number three, come under discipline. Jesus' last order to his apostle was to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 19. A disciple, as the word indicates, is one who is under discipline. 
Jesus never instructs anyone to make church members because rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, 1 Samuel 15:23. And because rebellion against God has exposed our whole race to the deceptive and destructive power of Satan, we can come under God's protection only as we place ourselves under his discipline. And in discipline, life is vulnerable to demonic attack. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. This is the primary form of discipline in any life, self-discipline. Unless we learn to discipline ourselves, no other form of discipline will be effective. In the first area in which this applies is our personal communication with God in his word and in prayer. Living by God's word demands that we give him regular prime time each day. Then with the help of the Holy Spirit, we must bring our emotions, desires and appetites under control. A man not in control in these areas is not in control of his life. There's one deceptive area we must bring under control, the tongue. Idle words open the way for demons. The control of the tongue is a mark of spiritual maturity. If anyone does not stumble a word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. James 3.2 Obviously, you will not achieve this level of self-discipline in a few simple steps. From time to time, you will stumble. Just pick yourself up dust yourself off and continue to move forward and upward. As long as you are moving in the right direction, Satan may harass you, but he cannot defeat you. There are various other areas in which we may need to come under discipline, relating to the family, school, church, and various forms of secular government. God requires us to cultivate submissiveness in any of these areas that apply to our lives. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, that's 1 Peter 2.13. It is true that deliverance brings us freedom, but many Christians misunderstand the nature of freedom. We are not free to do our own thing. We are free that we may bring every area of our lives under God's discipline. Number four, cultivate right fellowship. A person whose walls have been broken down by demons need the help of other Christians to stand with him as he builds up those walls. We need to recognize that one of the most powerful influences in our lives is the people with whom we associate. This means we have to choose the kind of people we spend time with. We may live among unbelievers, but we cannot make ourselves one with them. There must always be a difference between our lifestyle and others and theirs. If we are walking in the light, we will have fellowship with our fellow believers. See 1 John 1.7 There is no place for self-centered individualism in the Christian life. As Christians, we need each other. The writer of Hebrew gives us an urgent warning. And let us consider one another in our order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as, as is the manner of some but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24-25 On the other hand, we are also warned, evil company corrupts good habits. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 If you sincerely desire to keep your deliverance, you must break off relationships that have a wrong influence on you and begin to cultivate friends who will encourage you and set you a good example. It may be painful to sever ties with friends or to disassociate yourselves for a time from family members whose influence is harmful. But you can trust the Holy Spirit to help you do it with grace and wisdom and to take care of the consequences. Remember, He is your helper. Number five, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5:18, Paul gives us two words of instruction. The first is negative. Do not be drunk with wine. The second is positive. Be filled with the Spirit. Most Christians will acknowledge that it is wrong to be drunk. Yet, how many believe it is equally wrong not to be filled with the Spirit? The infilling of the Holy Spirit is an essential part of God's provision for victorious living. Paul speaks of this infilling in the continuing present tense, be continuously filled. He is speaking not about a one-time experience, but in the next three verses about a lifestyle. Singing praises continually to the Lord, being unceasingly thankful to God the Father, being humbly submissive to one another as speaks as in uh, also speaking 
uh, as in speaking in tongues. As the Holy Spirit fills you continuously in this way, demons will find you no vacant area that they can occupy. Number six, make sure you have passed through the water of baptism. Jesus told his apostles to preach the gospel to every creation. He who believes and is baptized immense will be saved. Mark 16, 15, 16. Baptism in water is not an option, some ecclesiastical ceremony that follows salvation. On the contrary, it is an outward act of obedience, expressing the inward work of faith in our hearts, and thus making salvation complete. In the book of Acts, there is no record of anyone receiving salvation without afterward being baptized in water. In the New Testament, baptism is compared to two events in Old Testament history, Noah and his family in the ark passing through the water of the flood. That is, if you see Genesis 7 uh, and 8 and uh, First um, uh, Peter 3, 19-21, and Israel escaping from the dominion of Pharaoh by passing through the Red Sea. See Exodus 14, 15-21, and First Corinthians 10, 1-2. In each case, passing through the water was an act of separation. Noah and his family were saved from the ungodly world that perished under God's judgment. And Israel finally escaped Pharaoh's oppression since the Egyptian army could not follow them through the water. There were two phrases in Israel's salvation. First, in Egypt, they were saved from God's judgment by faith and the blood of Passover lamb, which was a type of Christ. Second, they were delivered from Egypt by passing through the Red Sea. This pattern applies to us as Christians. We are saved in the world by faith in the blood of Jesus, but we are separated from the world by passing through the water of baptism. It is of it is the act of being baptized that cuts us off from the kingdom of Satan. His demons have no right to follow us through the water. If you have never been baptized in water as a believer, this is an important step you need to take to cut off demonic activity. If you have already been baptized, on the other hand, you need to stand fast on that fact and be confident that Satan's demons have no further right of access to you. Now put on the whole armor of God. That's number seven. Now that you are wearing your garment of praise, God offers you a complete set of armor to put on over it. It, in case you have not yet realized it, you are a soldier in a war. You need all the armor God has promised for you. The items of your equipment are listed in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 to 18 as follows. The girdle, belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the word of, of word, or the Greek rhema of God, and all prayer. We will go through these items of armor in order. The girdle belt of truth. In biblical times, men usually wore loose clothing that hung down below their knees. Before undertaking any strenuous activity, they would gather up their loose garments above, above their knees and fasten it with a belt around the waist. Hence the phrase that occurs several times in the Bible, Gird up your loins. Likewise, you must gather up and fasten out of the way anything that will impede your freedom to follow Jesus. The bell that enables you to do this is God's word, applied in a, in a very plain and practical way. You must become totally sincere and open, put aside every form of dishonesty or hypocrisy. You must love the truth. I repeat, you must love the truth. Now the second is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protects your most critical, vulnerable area, your heart. This righteousness is not mere intellectual assent to a doctrine with the heart, not with the head. One believes through righteousness, Romans 10.10. 10. Saving faith in the heart transforms a life of sin into a life of righteousness. Not a righteousness that comes from following a set of religious rules, but from Christ dwelling in our hearts and living out his life through us. The righteous are bold as a lion, Proverbs 28.1. This kind of righteousness transforms timidity into boldness, doubt into confidence. The shoes of preparation of the gospel of peace. Your shoes make you mobile. You must be available to God at any time or place to share the gospel with those God puts in your way. In a world of strife and tension, you must be a vessel of God's peace. Now, next is the shield of faith. The shield alluded to in Ephesians 6 was being uh, big enough to give protection to a soldier's whole body. 
but it was effective only when he had learned how to use it. You too must learn to use your faith as a shield to protect your whole person, spirit, soul, and body from Satan's fiery darts. Remember, the shield will not merely ward off the flaming darts, it will extinguish them. And the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the head, that is, the mind. Satan will direct more attacks against your mind and against any other area of your personality. The helmet is also called a hope of salvation, 1 Thessalonians 5.8. Not mere wishful thinking, but an attitude of steady, continuing optimism based firmly on the truth of God's word. The sword of the spirit, the word, greet Rema of God. Rema means primarily a spoken word. The Bible on your bookshelf will not protect you. God's word becomes a sword when you speak it through your mouth in faith. Remember how Jesus used that sword against Satan, answering every temptation by quoting scripture. It is written. You must learn to do the same. The sword is provided by the Holy Spirit, but it is your responsibility, I repeat, your responsibility to take it. When you do, the Spirit provides supernatural power with which to weld it. The final weapon is all prayer. With the, the sword, you are limited by the length of your arm. But all prayer is your intercontinental ballistic missile. By this kind of prayer, you can reach across oceans and continents and strike the forces of Satan wherever they are at work. You can even reach out against Satan's headquarters in the heavenlies. But it takes discipline and maturity to learn to use such a powerful weapon. Now, the divine paradox. Perhaps you feel a little overwhelmed as you consider what you must do to maintain your deliverance. You may feel inclined to say, can't you put it more simply in just a few words? Yes, all that I have said above can be expressed in one simple instruction. To keep your deliverance, all you have to do is live the Christ life as it is depicted and demonstrated in the New Testament. That is the distillation of how to keep your deliverance, but it is radical. In Matthew 16, 24, 25, Jesus lays down two unvarying requirements for all who would follow him. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to have his life, literally, soul, will lose it. And whoever loses his life, literally, soul, or my, for my sake, will find it. Here's a divine paradox. To save, protect our souls, we must lose them. Before we can follow Jesus, there are two preliminary steps. First, we must deny ourselves. We must say a resolute and final no to the demanding, self-seeking ego. Second, we must each take up our own cross. We must accept the sentence of death that the cross imposes on us. Taking up the cross is a voluntary decision that each of us must make. God does not forcefully impose the cross upon us. If we do not apply the cross personally in our own lives, we leave a door open to demonic influence. There's always a danger that the uncrucified ego will respond to the seductive flatteries of deceiving demons. Pride is the main area in our character that Satan targets, and the flattery is the main lever he uses to gain entrance. We must each apply the cross personally to ourselves. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. We we each need to ask, is it that true of me? Have I really been crucified with Christ or am I still motivated by my soulish ego? Many Christians today will feel that this solution is too radical. They will question whether this is really the only way to be secure from deception. They tend to regard Paul as some kind of super saint whom they could never hope to imitate. Paul, however, did not see himself this way. His ministry as an apostle was unique, but his personal relationship with Christ was a pattern for all to follow. In 1 Timothy 1.16, he said, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Again, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he said, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. The only alternative to the cross is to put self in the place of Christ. But this is idolatry and opens the way for the evil consequences that invariably follow idolatry. The cross is the heart and center of the Christian faith. Without the cross proclaimed and applied, Christianity is left without a foundation, and it claims are, its claims are no longer valid. It has become, in fact, 
a false religion. As such, like all false religions, it is inevitably exposed to demonic infiltration and deception. I have come to see that my experience over the years in dealing with demons have had a profound impact on my own Christian life. Time and time again, I have come up against blunt, uncompromising words of Jesus. The Christian life. There are no shortcuts. In the Christian life, there are no shortcuts. Okay? No detours. If we desire immunity from demonic oppression, it is available to us on one condition only, and it is obedience. Now, let's look at 10 reasons why some are not delivered. Most of the people who have prayed the prayer of the nine step to deliverance have received deliverance from demons, but not all. Before we minister to people, we get them to agree to these preconditions without which we can proceed. One is to be available, spirit, soul, and body, to partner with God. To be bold, to lay claim to all he has died to give you or me. Be compassionate enough to sit where people are hurting. Be determined to keep going, never ever give up until the word of God becomes truth and life in your circumstances and situation. Be earnestly in love with God and people with no restraint. Be fiery in anger with Satan for stealing from you and others. Be great in hunger to pursue God until you recover all and manifest Him to yourself and others. But here and there are additional 10 reasons why some people don't receive their deliverance. Here are the 10 possible factors that might hinder a person from receiving deliverance. 1. Lack of repentance. 2. Lack of desperation. 3. Wrong motives. 4. Self-centeredness. A desire for attention. 5. Failure to break with the occult. 6. Failure to severe binding soulish relationships. 7. Lack of release from a cross. 8. Failure to confess a specific sin. 9. Not separated by water baptism. And 10. Part of a larger battle. Number 1. Lack of repentance. Jesus began his public ministry with the words repent and believe. Mark 1.15. He never expected anyone to believe without first repenting. Faith that does not proceed out of repentance is not valid and cannot be expected to produce the resolve promise to true faith. Every sinner is by both art and nature in rebellion against God. We do not qualify to receive God's blessing until we have renounced our rebellion and turned totally away from it. This is the essential nature of repentance, renouncing our rebellion against God. Ask yourself, am I submitted without reservation to the authority of Jesus Christ in my life? If you cannot answer yes, you are still in an attitude of rebellion. There is only one remedy, repentance. In repentance, we submit ourselves by an act of the will to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Our repentance is proved genuine when we go on to study and obey the teaching of Jesus. People from seek, uh, people often seek deliverance because they want. Uh, okay, people often seek deliverance because they want to be free from the unpleasant consequences of demonic oppression. But, but this is not sufficient uh, reason. If you do not commit yourself to go on after deliverance to serve the Lord, either you will not receive deliverance at all, or if you do receive it, it will not be permanent. Number two, lack of desperation. When we are seeking deliverance from Satan's bondage, we need to recognize the reality of our situation. We have been taken prisoner by a cruel despot who hates us with total hatred and will do everything he can to harm us and, if possible, to destroy us. When we turn to Christ for deliverance, it must be with the recognition that he is the only one who can help us. We need to be as desperate as Peter was when he was sinking in the waters of Galilee and cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me, Matthew 14, 30. He realized that in another moment, the water would close over his mouth and he would no longer be able to cry for help. Several times, when a person has approached me seeking deliverance, I've said, deliverance is for the desperate. I don't feel that you are desperate yet. Come back when you are. Sometimes we suggest that a person fast for 24 hours before seeking deliverance. Number three, wrong motives. The Apostle James, analyzing reasons that people sometimes pray but do not get what they pray for, wrote, you ask and do not receive because you ask a miss that you may spend it on your pleasures. James 4, 3. 
This often applies to people praying for deliverance from demons. They have come to recognize that demonic bondage is in varying degrees unpleasant and frustrating. It is a barrier to their pleasures. They think they could get more enjoyment out of life if they were set free. But this is not sufficient reason for God to respond to their prayers. When we come to Him for deliverance, He searches our motives. He offers freedom to those who will use it to serve Christ more effectively, not those who wish to continue the life of selfish uh, pleasures. Number four, self-centeredness, a desire for attention. Some people always feel ignored and unimportant. They want to be at center stage, but leave uh, life keeps them in the background. They feel nobody cares about them. One possible reason, they are oppressed and suppressed by demons. When they seek deliverance, they suddenly find themselves the center of attention and they enjoy it. But after some measure of deliverance, they drop back into the shadows. People no longer pay as much attention to them, so they find some new aspect of their problem to discuss and some new areas in which they need deliverance. Deep down, they really do not want to be free. What they want is attention. They are like the woman described by Paul in 2 Timothy 3.7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is right to have compassion on such people okay, and to represent clearly the conditions for receiving deliverance. But there comes a point when we must challenge them to accept full deliverance and the responsibility that goes with it. Number five, failure to break with the occult. It is so seldom easy to make a full and final break with the occult. Satan will use every trick in his repertoire to hold on to his victim. A person seeking to break away may be like Lord's wife, escaping from Sodom. She turned uh, around for one last regretful look at what she was leaving behind and became forever immobilized as a pillar of salt. See Genesis 19 verse 26. Jesus held her up as a warning to all succeeding generations. Remember Lord's wife, Luke 17, 32. The land of Canaan into which God brought the Israelites was corrupted by idolatry and occult involvement. For this reason, God told his people, do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Exodus 23:24. The Israelites were required to obliterate every trace of occult involvement. Nothing was to be carried over from the old order to the new. God even demanded that his people's speech indicate the total break with the old order. Make no mention of the name of other gods and nor let it be heard from your mouth. Exodus 23, 13. The world around us today is like the land of Canaan, at that time corrupted and defiled by every conceivable form of occult, of the occult. But many Christians, as I said earlier, are slow to recognize how intensely God hates the occult. We require that we make the same total break with all those things that he required of Israel in the land of Canaan. We must obliterate every trace of them from our lives. The things that link us to the occult are often subtle and hard to detect. A person seeking deliverance needs to pray, Lord, show me if there's anything in my life that still links me to the occult and show me how to make a clean break. Number six, failure to severe binding soulish relationship. We have point, pointed out that demonic bondage can resolve from being manipulated or controlled by soulish pressures exercised by some other person. Release from such bondage obviously depends on severing any such controlling relationship. Jesus wants, warned us that a man's foe will be those of his own household. Matthew 10 36. This is often true in cases of such binding personal relationships. A mother for instance, may seek to control her child, or a young man may continually be pressured by his brother to go back to taking drugs with him. No matter how close the family member or friend, full freedom will not come until that control is severed. The process of adjusting such relationship may be painful, but is essential for full deliverance. Sometimes it is necessary to break all contact with the controlling person and trust God to establish a relationship in his time and in his terms. When this is not possible, as in the case of a spouse or a child living at home, the person seeking to stay free must be vigilant to avoid coming back under that familiar controlling power. Number seven, lack of release from a cause. In earlier series in the nine-step process to deliverance, we indicated seven common indicators that there may be a cause over a person's life. If you recognize that any of the forces we identified are still at work in your life, it may be that you 
are not yet fully released from every cause. The basis of your release is the exchange that God that took place at the cross. There, Jesus took on himself every cause to which our sinfulness had exposed us, that in return we might be entitled to every blessing due to his spotless righteousness. The ramifications of this exchange are many-sided and extended into every area of our lives. For a comprehensive treatment of this subject, I direct you to uh, uh, the book on causes. All right. All right. So, failure to confess a specific sin, number eight. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In 1 John 1, 9. God does not necessarily require that we confess individually every sin we have ever committed. But at times, one specific sin must be brought out into the open until it is acknowledged and confessed God withholds his forgiveness and cleansing. After David was convicted of his sins of adultery and mother, he said, My sin is ever before me. Psalm 51 verse 3. David recognized the horror of his sin that had separated him from God. His only hope for inward peace and renewed fellowship with God was to bring his sins out into the open by specific confession. When a person is seeking deliverance from demons, there may be a specific sin that has to be confessed. It may be the sin that opened him or her up at the, at the, at the demon, to the demon in the first place. In that case, God will withhold deliverance until the particular sin has been identified and confessed. Now, testimony by a deliverance minister. A mother once brought her teenage daughter to Lydia and me for deliverance. We succeeded in casting out a number of demons, but there was one stuck in the girl's throat that refused to move any further. Eventually, I said to the young woman, I believe you have committed one specific sin that God requires you to, to confess by name. The girl looked at me for a few minutes in acute embarrassment and then blotted out I had an abortion. The mother let out a gasp. She had apparently known nothing about it. God requires one more thing, I told the young woman. You have to confess that abortion as mother. She did, and the moment she corrected, correctly named her sin as mother, she was completely delivered. She received forgiveness not only from God, but from her mother. Mother and daughter fell into each other's arms and cried together. When God requires a confession of some specific sin, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal it. It is his ministry, after all, to convict of sin. See James John 16.8 In addition to mother, specific sins that often need to be confessed are listed in the last four of the Ten Commandments. Adultery, theft, false witness, and uh, coveting. Number nine, not separated by water baptism. Being baptized in water, as we pointed out, is the outward act by which we complete the salvation we have received through our faith in Christ's atonement. A person who has believed but not been baptized is incompletely saved. It is only complete salvation that grants us the legal right to be free from demonic oppression. Unfortunately, even some churches that practice baptism by immersion do not sufficiently emphasize its importance. I want to make clear, however, that I am not speaking of baptism as a ceremony required to join some particular congregation, but simply as act of personal obedience to scripture. Whenever I pray for deliverance with people who have never been baptized as believers, I warn them, you are free now, but if you intend to return your, retain your freedom, you must be baptized in water. On the other hand, you may have done this without understanding the complete deliverance from Satan's power to which you are legally entitled. If you still find yourself harassed by Satan's demons, take your stand on what your baptism only means. Uh, pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you that I have passed through the water of uh, out of Satan's kingdom and into your kingdom and now lord i take authority in your name and cut off every harassing demon that has been pursuing me in jesus name amen now 10 part of a larger battle as christians we are involved in a vast uh, spiritual world that spans both earth and heaven paul describes this as wrestling march against returning forces in the heavenlies see ephesians 6 12. at times we may find ourselves in conflict not only with demons on the earthly plane but also with demons whose headquarters are in the heavens sometimes a person who appears relatively unimportant on an earthly plane is a strategic element in this global conflict satan's demons are aware of this and are determined to retain control over that life and use it to oppose god's purpose consequently any attempt to minister 
deliverance resisted fiercely, not only by the demons in the person, but also by the satanic forces in the heavenlies operating through that person. I call such a person a battleground. A single individual, for instance, may be the key to the salvation of a whole family or even some hitherto uh, larger community. On the deliverance of just one person may open the door to bring the gospel to hitherto unreached people group. If this is so, Satan will match all his forces both on earth and in the heavens to retain his control over that individual. To minister to such a people, we need insight into the heavens, perhaps through a vision or word of wisdom or knowledge. If we have a clear picture of the forces opposing us, we can call on committed intercessors to stand together with us to claim the victory Christ has gained for us. For through this atoning death and victorious resurrection, he has disarmed principalities and powers of Satan opposes. Colossians 2.15 It may also be when a person does not receive deliverance that we need to apply the words of Jesus in Mark 9.23. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now prayer for self-deliverance. So, repeat after me. A short prayer for self-deliverance. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And rose again from the dead. You redeemed me by your blood and I belong to you. I want to live for you. I confess all my sins known and unknown. I'm sorry for them all. I renounce them all. Forgive all others as I want you to forgive me. Forgive me now and cleanse me with your blood. I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses me now from all sin. And I come to you as my deliverer. You know my special needs, the things that binds, that torments, that defiles, that evil spirit, that unclean spirit. I claim the promise of the, your word, whosoever that calleth on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. I call upon you now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver me and set me free. Satan, I renounce you and all your works. I lose myself from you in the name of Jesus. And I command you to leave me right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it come from your heart and see the salvation of the Lord. Are you sick or in need for deliverance and restoration? For those who are sick or well in whatever shape or form or needing deliverance or restoration, kindly touch the door or connect with the voice. Faith is seeing the pre precise positive outcome of your current situation, knowing that Jesus has done his part more than 2,000 years ago to secure your healing, deliverance, restoration as a down payment, trusting that that down payment is available to you to draw from, like a check, positive balance in your checking account with the bank, no question asked. As we agree with you and pronounce be healed, be delivered, be restored in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, by the authority you have granted unto me, and unto them, I exercise that authority now in faith with their anger against the enemy and hunger to destroy.